You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. Our gospel lesson is from John, the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. Hear God's words for you. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw they were following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. And he brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. There's a particular word we really don't want to hear this time of year. And all of you know what this is. You may even anticipate it coming. It's the word infectious. You can't help but think about all the colds, the bugs, the stomach viruses, and all the stuff that's been going around I got a call from an elder last night saying, won't be a session meeting. And I said, good. (laughs) We really don't want to catch it again. So it makes us think of all the things we want to avoid. Now, I like to think I've got a pretty strong constitution. I don't get sick often. But you might doubt that if you've been around me the last month. On the last Sunday in Advent, I had a stomach bug. And then the next weekend, uh, we began to come down, both of us, with a sinus and a bronchial infection. And the antibiotics killed off everything except the symptoms. The symptoms stay even once you're cured, somehow or another. So mostly we take the word infectious and we push it over in the pile of words we don't like. The dictionary uses words like corrupt or contaminates, and those are not words we like. But you see, infectious can have a positive connotation too. 
Don't you know people who have an infectious smile or wit or personality? If I say to someone, you have an infectious smile, I start smiling before I can get it out of my mouth, right? And that's a positive. Who doesn't want to know more people like that? Now, I suppose that's one of those things we we really come to understand primarily because we have experience with it. Much of life is that way. In our culture, I fear sometimes that people think the only way we know anything is through experience, and, and it is one of the ways. There are others, of course. But if you know somebody who has that infectious personality, then you're aware that such things exist. As pastor of a church, uh, it's not a surprise to any of you that I spend a fair amount of time with people who are in the midst of grief and sorrow. And all the learning that you get from the books and the classes early on in your life in ministry and all the practice you have over the years certainly helps you to deal with that. But nothing really prepares you for that as much as having experienced grief and sorrow in your own right. But the same is true for the joys of life too. If you are trying to explain some great and wondrous event in your life, it helps to have somebody who has a similar experience. Until quite recently, if you told me about your grandchildren, I smiled and I acted polite. That's until we had a grandchild of our own. And trust me, it makes all the difference in the world. And I was infectious in the most positive way, I can tell you. Today's text from John is one of those things that helps us to see those kind of personalities. It's almost an epiphany-like experience, one of those aha moments in life. When people suddenly see and suddenly understand with a clarity they didn't have before what's going on right in front of them. That's why this text always falls close to the the season of of Epiphany, the day of Epiphany in in the church calendar. Suddenly in this text, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, we sometimes say, and those men who will become the future disciples intuitively begin to see and understand that there's something, dare I say, infectious about this one who is coming to change the world. John's a bit of a mystery in John's gospel. The synoptics, he clearly seems to understand who Jesus is, but here we're never quite so sure. He doesn't really seem to know necessarily about Jesus. Now, perhaps John understands that and knows Jesus on that that personal level. Maybe he knew Jesus, knew his face, knew he was indeed, a cousin, and all those things that we also know. But it is only in this moment in John's gospel that he fully realizes who Jesus is. If John and Jesus played together as boys, John didn't understand fully who Jesus was. Until now. Behold the Lamb of God. And the old language of the translation, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Powerful, wonderful text. 
And then he goes on to explain that this Jesus is the one I've been telling you is coming. This is the one I've been proclaiming when I was baptizing and I have seen and I have borne witness that he is truly the son of God. So, okay, there's really nothing quite like that personal experience here, is there? To convince us that something is true and it's authentic and it's to be believed and acted upon. Another day passes and John the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples and once again, he sees Jesus walking by and a second time he proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God. The only real difference between the first and that second proclamation a day later is the who of Jesus is fully understood by John and his disciples began to get a glimmer of that too. One of the disciples comes and follows Jesus. Did John say, you know, Andrew, maybe you ought to go follow this guy? Or did Andrew just understand that this was what he was supposed to do? We don't know. But he goes. And Jesus' response to this following of John's disciple is different than you might expect. Not once, not one time does Jesus try to convince Andrew of who he is. Jesus understands he doesn't need to do that. He simply says, what do you seek? Great question. What do you seek? What are you looking for? What is that depth of life that you know needs to be changed? That's really what the question is. See, the whole truth is that all of life is a search. We're all searching always for that that gives life meaning. That's what religion, that's what philosophy, that's what the yearning of the human heart has always been about. It wasn't just true for the disciples 2,000 years ago. It's true for every human being today, you and me and everybody else. Everybody's looking for that which brings fulfillment. Now, as Christians gathered in this place, we believe we found that ultimate reality. And that ultimate meaning in life is found in this person of Jesus Christ whom we proclaim as Lord and Savior. We believe that. And yet, I also know that deep down in the experience of every one of us, even when we are confirmed Christians, we're still searching. It's not something that happens once and for all. It's an always ongoing process. See, I suspect you get up and come to church on a warm, not particularly lovely day in January because you too come not only looking to affirm this Jesus who is your Savior, but because you need a deeper contact. You need something in your life that will deepen the relationship you already have. On the other hand, we may have folk here who really don't have that depth of relationship. And they're looking to find it. They're looking to make a connection with something that is eternal. Something that has a deeper sort of meaning. 
Faith, that gift that God gives that moves us from what we have not seen to find the deepest, is not really faith for us unless we also wish to give it away. There's a kind of a funny selfishness in American Christianity. And I think we're all infected with it. And you see it. You've sensed it in your own life. You certainly see it in the media. Jesus is all mine. I will be content to sit and claim Jesus and hold him close to my heart. Okay. There is some piece of faith that's that, isn't it? But real deep faith that Jesus Christ is truly Messiah, God, the way, the truth, and the life really only gets realized when we're prepared to not just take it and hold it, but take it and give it away. Until we are able to articulate in some way that this faith has claimed us and claimed us so thoroughly that we cannot help but want to share it. What might it look like if as Christians our faith became infectious? You can go out and cough on somebody. (laughs) I don't think it's going to work like that. But what does it look like when faith becomes infectious? We Presbyterians and maybe most of Western Christianity aren't very good at that. We don't do a good job transmitting faith. We think that that happens in church. We think maybe only the preachers do that or maybe a Sunday school teacher. But the truth is the best transmitters of the faith are always those humble folk like the ones in the text for today. Now, maybe you didn't think of John the Baptist as being a particularly humble guy. If you read the text more closely, you'll discover that he is. Because he makes sure in every gospel that people understand, I'm John, I'm the forerunner, I am not, I am not, I am not the Messiah. But one is coming. The one is coming. Did John know how soon? Probably not. So John, in his own way, understands that he must decrease even as Jesus increases. John never wavers once he knows who Jesus is. Oh, we have that account later on where he sends the disciples. And Jesus, of course, sends back, go tell John what you've seen and heard. Because Jesus knows that'll be enough. Once the behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has passed his mouth, John fully knows. And what about this guy we now know is Andrew? Andrew follows Jesus, listens to what he says and does, and this knowledge he cannot contain, so he rushes off to find his big brother, a guy named Peter, and he says, we found the Messiah. Why did Andrew listen to John and follow Jesus? I think it's rather simple. 
I think he admired John and his faith enough to want to know more. So why did Peter follow Andrew? An attractive faith is infectious. It's contagious, or at least it ought to be. And that's really where Christianity comes for most of us. I've asked many times in classes, and I'm sure in sermons, how did you get to be a Christian? And for most of us, if we think about it, so I'll ask the question a different way. Who first told you about Jesus? Your mother, your grandmother, your father, Sunday school teacher. Those are the folks that began to instill faith within us. And that's where Christianity begins for most of us. It's not an argument. It's not a debate. It's not great ideas. It's through the faith of somebody we know and admire. A well-known scholar and a pastor, a lecturer from the last century, tells the story of a young man who came to him, and it was somebody he didn't know, and he came and said, I want to become a member of the church. And so being the pastor he was, he sat down and wanted to get to know this young man. So he says, tell me about who you are. And so the young man says, well, I guess I'll start by telling you that I don't know that I grew up in a home that was really Christian. My parents sent me to Sunday school till I was about 11, but they didn't go. My father played golf. My mother stayed home. I don't really know what she did. I never saw much affection in my family. And after I was about 11, I quit going, and certainly they did too. And then I went off to college, and I fell in love with this girl, and I got invited to her house to meet her family. And when I got there, they were all waiting to welcome her home, and they greeted me also with open arms. They talked freely. There was a kind of a joy in their relationships. And when we were alone, I said to her, gosh, you people really love each other. And she said, yeah, we're family. We, we do. We love each other. That's the way it's supposed to be. And then he says, we sat down to the table. And for the first time in my life, I'd heard about it, but I hadn't seen it. For the first time in my life, they said a blessing over the meal. You think about that. When was the first time you heard a blessing over a meal? And the young man said, the father who prayed, prayed not just to bless the food, but he was thankful for the return of his daughter and for her new friend and glad for us to be there. And I realized how profoundly moved I was. There was something special here. And at this point, the pastor interrupts and says, okay, well, did they try to, to force you to believe like they did? Did they, did they pin you down and want to know exactly what you thought and try to tell you where you were wrong? And the guy said, no, they didn't do any of that. That's the interesting thing about it. When they talked about their faith, when they talked about Jesus Christ, they talked about Jesus the same way they'd talk about anything else. It was open. And I realized at that moment that these people had something I wanted. And I knew the place I was going to have to come to learn more about it. 
was the church. It's really sort of the same story again. Andrew doesn't need to convince Peter. His task is to get Peter and Jesus together and Jesus will take care of the rest. And that's really what our task is in the life, not just of the church, but in our lives in the midst of community. We live our faith with an awareness and an openness that people see and say, how do you do this? And then you have a chance to tell them. An infectious faith. Are we as individuals, are we as a church, making the faith so attractive by the way we live, by the way we act, by the way we treat each other, that people want to share it? As I said, most everybody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, not by argument. They don't become by being beaten into it or scared into it. They come through the compassionate witness of people who care about them. Fully 80% of all Christians get there this way. But we are so slow. We are so reluctant. We think that somehow if we can just figure out a program, If we just figure out the right kind of class, we will solve this problem and people will flock into the church. No, they won't. Or if they do, it won't be for the right reasons. If we want people to come to faith, if we want people to grow deeper in the faith they do have, they will do it because they experience it in folks like us. The disciples, like Andrew, might never have the kind of impact we think of as the great evangelists. They're not a Peter, they're not a Paul. The reality is there aren't many Peters and Pauls in this world. There's only a handful of them, but there's a lot of Andrews, and we need Andrews. We need those folks who do the down behind the scenes work. Andrew gets mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. That's it. 12 times. And yet Andrew's the guy who brings his brother. How many times do you think Peter gets mentioned in the New Testament? And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus said about Peter. I've used this story many times, so I'm sure some of you have heard it in various and sundry contexts, but it's a story of an old pastor in a Scottish kirk who is in that process of retiring. And he's served this church for nigh on 40 years. And he's always had one particular elder who has been the bane of his existence. I'm sorry, I'm not talking about elders right now. And it seems as if this elder cannot help but point out his weaknesses. And so they're in the last session meeting 
before he retires. And so this old elder says, and how many have you managed to convert since you've been a part of our Kirk pastor? And the pastor thinks about it a little bit. And he says, well, honestly, I baptize everybody in the community and they either become a part of the church or not. But there's really only one child who wouldn't have been brought for baptism naturally, a little boy named Robbie Moffat. Remember the rest of the story? Robbie Moffat, Robert Moffat, is the Presbyterian evangelist who opened up Africa. He paved the way for people like Livingston. In fact, his daughter married Livingston. It's been said that when Robert Moffat joined the kingdom, he brought with him an entire continent. Andrew. One minor influence. How do you measure the effects of one person who gets one for Christ? Well, you can't. And you won't know because you will never know the whole story. But I promise you, the story is deeper and wider and more profound than you'll ever know. That's what an infectious faith does for us. And who is to say what might happen if we began to live out a faith that was that attractive, that contagious, in the life of the community of which we're part, not just when we're gathered here at church, but for all those folks we meet out there in the world. Who is to say what might happen in God's kingdom? We don't have to go to the foreign mission fields, though some of us will. We don't have to stand on the street corners. We certainly don't need to berate people and condemn them and think that somehow that's going to bring them in. What we need to do is to be humble enough and infectious enough in faith to let others see the light of Christ that shines in us. So, are you ready to become contagious for God? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.